Hello again and welcome back to Beer Books, the podcast hosted by yours truly, Daisy Ray and April Berry. We are all about appreciating indie authors. We have interviews and reviews, writing and reading you flash fiction stories and best of all, getting authors noticed by their readers. Today, we are reading you three flash fiction stories from the writing prompt, Come On, Open the Door. These stories will all be included in the anthology we're set to publish by the end of this year. All profits going to a charity we have yet to decide on, so if you have one close to your heart, do let us know. First up today, we have April, who is reading a story written by Dean Wrigley and Trace Spencer, told from the perspective of conversation. And then I will read a story by Carolyn Ward-Daniels that is disturbingly brilliant and will round off with a story from Jerry O'Keefe, read by the author himself. So if you have your coffee in hand and your feet up, let's crack on. Last two deliveries of the day, one mine, one the missus. Just got to find this address, deliver this parcel, knock off and get myself back home in time. It's the second kid and we're having it at home. Where's that address? 29C Rothsey Avenue. The posh side of town. Lardida, more money than sense types. Ling-a-ling-a-ling. Ooh, the missus calling. What's she want? Ling-a-ling-a-ling. Hey up, love. What's up? He listens. Your waters. Oh, heck. What's that? Your Karen's taking you to the hospital. Oh, well. I'll see you there. I won't be long. I've just got one more delivery. Gotta go. Boss don't like calls when I'm working. Yeah, I know. Yeah, see you in a bit, love. Love you. Bye. Bye-bye. He hangs up. Right. What's that address? 17, 19, 23, 27, 31, 33. Mm, I've missed it. How did that happen? ding a ling Oh, stuff this. Park up here and walk. ding a ling 33, 31, 27, eh? Where's a... Ah, oh, well, that's a bit mad. 29 is behind 27. Ding-a-ling-a-ling. Yes, yes, one minute, babe. Okay, 29C, 29C, where's that? Hey, up, love, what's up? Oh, hi, Karen, a bag for hospital. It's in the bedroom. Okay, see you at the hospital. Drive carefully, ladies. Right now, 29C, ah, oh, here we go. Oh, a flat. Best ring the bell. He presses the doorbell, Mark 29C. It rings. Again, it rings. No answer. He rings again. Come on, come on. Open up. Open the door. He waits. Rings the doorbell again. The door swings open. You, Mr... Oh, sorry. Are you Mrs Cross? No, love, but I know you. Don't think so. It's Craig, isn't it? Craig Ashton. Oh, yeah, that's right. Do I know you? It's Tanya, Tanya Cross, remember? No, sorry, I um, have a parcel for Mr Cross. He was cut short by the woman. My name's Tanya, you remember me, don't you? Tanya, oh yeah, yeah, of course. Look, Tanya, I've got to deliver this. Okay, so where have you been hiding? Hiding? Not me, I've been getting on with my life. Oh yeah, what's that mean? I got married, second kid on the way now. Second, you've been busy. Yeah, and I must deliver this, then i got to get to the hospital. Oh, right, in a rush then, are you? Something like that. Well, before you go, you best come up. No time, can you just sign for the parcel, please? In a minute, come up, just for a minute. I can't, sorry. Just for a minute. I can't, I've got to go. 
Look, Craig, this will take a minute. If I do, will you take the parcel? Yeah, yeah, of course. Craig follows Tanya up the stairs, clinging onto the parcel. She opens a door. It's marked 29C. Come on in. Leah. Leah? Who's Leah? Mummy, is it here? Yes, darling. A little blonde girl waddles into the hallway of the flat. Oh, hello, who are you? Tanya turns to the girl. Bending over, she touches the girl's arm. I have a surprise for you. A surprise? Oh, is it my parcel? The child smiles excitedly. Well, yes, but I have a bigger surprise. Suddenly, Craig's mobile rings again. Can I just drop this parcel off? I gotta go. Craig grows anxious. In a mo, look, Craig, it's like this. What? Like what? I gotta go. My missus is about to have our child, Anne. And this is Leah, your daughter. Craig's jaw drops open. Say what? Leah, this is your daddy, Craig. The little girl jumps up and down with glee. Daddy! What's going on here? You're crazy. Crazy? You think I'm crazy? Tanya sidles up to Craig. I wasn't crazy when you gave me that other package five years ago, was I? Ding-a-ling-a-ling, ding-a-ling-a-ling, ding-a-ling-a-ling. I almost feel sorry for Craig. He got proper blindsided there by that Tanya. I like how the story is told through the conversation. More of the show not tell that we like. Kind of served him right, though, if the inference of the confessions of a delivery driver type doorstep shag is to be believed. Life just got a whole lot more complicated for Craig. Yeah, poor bloke. I'll tell you what, one thing, though. It was it was really difficult to kind of read it to get it across, but it was it, it was. And, and I don't know whether I did feel sorry for Craig, to be honest. I think it just serves him right, because if that's the type <laughs> of person he is... <laughs> You know, I did say almost, almost yeah. feel sorry for Craig. It's his other half that I feel more sorry for. Yes. Mind you, we don't know how long they've been married. I know they're on the second kid, but... Well, that's true. I mean, you know, it could just be 10 months. The child really, is five, it? isn't she? Yes. Yeah. It could just be his wayward sowing of his oats before he settled down that's caught up with him. Yeah, but where's his moral compass? Just getting somebody pregnant and leaving them. Well, maybe he never knew she was pregnant. Mind you, she could have told him. She could have told him. and She found him easy enough when she wanted to present him as a birthday present for Leah. Yep. It seems to be a thing, though, doesn't it, with flash fiction? Relationships gone wrong or messy or... (laughs) Yeah, life's never quite easy, is it? It's not, is it? I bet Dean and Trace had a right laugh putting that together between them. Yeah, it was very good. I wonder if one wrote the 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 dialogue for the male part and the other one wrote the dialogue for the female part. Oh, I don't know. Maybe That's we'll a, have to ask them. I think we will. I did like it, but like I say, it was really difficult to read because I had to split up the dialogue to a point where you could tell who was talking to who. And it took me a little bit of time to read through it to sort of work that out myself. You got to learn to put voices on. Yeah, I'm not that good at that kind of thing, though. You've got to bring in your acting skills, darling. Yeah, that's why I'm doing a (laughs) podcast and not a play. Fair enough. (laughs) I have a feeling that Craig's wife is not going to be too happy going forward. Now, I always like to know what happened afterwards. Maybe that's curiosity killed the cat, but I do like to find out what happened to them. 
I think it's the sign of a good story if it whets your appetite and you want to know a bit more, though. Yeah, I suppose it is. What have we got coming up next? Next, I am going to be reading a story called The Date, still based on the Come On, Open The Door writing prompt. And it's from Carolyn Ward-Daniels, and it goes a little bit like this. The Date by Carolyn Ward-Daniels It was promising to be a nice day, even at 6am. Robert Arby was delivering milk. He didn't mind the early starts. In fact, he preferred it, as there weren't many people around, and he didn't much care for other people. He was also home for lunchtime. He would have a chip shop lunch and doss on the couch in front of the TV for the rest of the day or read his Marvel comics. At 35, this was his only reading matter. Sometimes he would venture out to get a kebab or pizza, but mostly his dinner was crisp sandwiches and chocolate. He didn't drink alcohol as he quickly got out of control. It didn't mix well with his medication. He was on his last delivery and just as he placed two bottles of milk on the steps of a posh townhouse, the door opened and startled him. His chunky body shuffled backwards and his round face looked a little shocked as the most beautiful woman stepped out. She saw his blushed face, smiled at him as she swept her dark hair away from her pale amber eyes. A taxi pulled up and she hurried towards it. Robert couldn't take his eyes off her. He drove the milk float back in a daze. He couldn't get her out of his mind. He was sure he knew her. His everyday pattern took him to the chip shop, then his untidy flat where he made a pot of tea, the only cooking he ever did. He took his food to the lounge and turned on the TV. Eating straight out of the styrene carton, he was about to deliver the last chip to his open mouth when the one o'clock news came on. There she was, his beautiful woman reading the news. Now he knew her name, knew where she worked and knew where she lived. The chip never got delivered but dropped in the carton, which dropped on the floor with the other debris of pizza boxes and chocolate bar wrappers. He got mad when the camera left her face to show a newsreel and felt peculiar and nice when her face came back on and she was looking at him and talking to him. He felt quite bereft when she was saying goodbye, but what she did say... Until later, with the news, at six, she was coming back. He looked around and realised it was a bit messy, so he collected all the rubbish off the floor and binned it. He washed his dirty mug and teaspoon that had a dross of brown tea crusted in the bowl, as he just used it over and over again without a clean. He didn't know what to do with himself until six o'clock. He couldn't even concentrate on his Hulk comic. He changed his clothes putting on a shirt with a collar, combed his greasy brown hair and at five to six sat down excited when the jingle for the news piped up. Then a bloke filled the screen, a serious-faced, grey-haired bloke. No, no, where is she? Get off, you! Robert wasn't listening to the news. He was angry. Get off! Get off! Get off! he shouted at the screen. He was striding to and from the TV, constantly clicking his fingers and cursing. It had been ages since he'd had a temper episode, and he went to his goodie drawer and took out three chocolate bars and took them to bed. The following day, as he approached her door milk in hand, he was whispering, Come on, open the door. But it didn't. He was ready in front of the TV for one o'clock and there she was. 
He was hoping for good news, as when she smiled his heart melted. He now knelt in front of the TV screen, and when she said goodbye, he kissed her on screen, and a buzz of static made him realise she had kissed him back. Day after day he watched and listened, but what Robert heard was different. Out of Robert Mugabe, he heard his name Robert Arby. He picked out random words that he wanted to hear. I will see you later at six, Robert. The messages got stronger from the announcement about the bumper crop of best dates from the Middle East, Robert heard. We will have the best date this year. He could have swore she winked at him, and when he kissed the screen he heard her say, See you later. He knew he had a date. He got busy ironing his only decent pair of trousers, had a shower and shaved. He bought flowers on his way to his date and caught a bus that would get him there before six. He knew there was a bus stop at the end of her road, just after the railway bridge. It was a quarter of six when he got off the bus and he was trembling with nerves. He leant on the brick wall overlooking the railway tracks and counted to 100 to calm himself down. Then he started down the street towards her house. His heart banging in his ribcage and then he got a massive blushing attack when he saw her walking down the pavement towards him. They were both four houses away from her gate when a taxi pulled up. A smart chap got out. She broke into that beautiful smile and in a few short steps they were embracing before going down the path and into the house. Robert froze and dropped the flowers. He backtracked to the railway bridge, clicking his fingers in time to his fast stride. He knew how to make her face sad for losing him and have his name on her lips. On the news tomorrow as he hurled himself over the railway bridge into the path of the oncoming train. Do like uh, Caroline's story. She's got a fantastic imagination. Loner Robert Arby and his perceptions of life. Really, really weird. At 35, the only thing he reads is Marvel comics. <laughs> well, yeah, that is, you know, all that comics are not a bad thing to read, just not if it's your only source of reading. Yeah. I mean, I could just see him in my mind's eye coming in from his milk delivery and then dossing about on the settee, eating his crisp sandwiches and chocolate and that yeah, kind of thing. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I love how descriptive Robert is. I can I also I can see him clearly. It's you know, in a weird kind of way, I feel quite sorry for him because he's like overlooked because he doesn't look after himself, maybe, or slips through the net somehow when it comes to getting some help. Yeah, he's 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 majorly got a brilliant opinion of himself though, you know. You think so? I do think so. And if he if he really seriously thinks that, you know, that the the portrayal of him as as Carolyn has portrayed him. He's going to end up dating somebody off the telly. I didn't get that at all. I didn't even get a hint of arrogance. I just got that it was this really weird infatuation just got completely out of hand. Yeah, but he must have a perception of himself to think that this is where he's going to be going. It strikes me as really lonely. Yeah, that's possibly his reality. Yeah. But I don't think he thinks that's his reality. I don't know. I think he just saw this woman and something clicked in his head and it just got out of hand really fast. I think yeah. there's a big dollop of potential mental illness going on in there that a big he's dollop. not had any help for. 
Blimey, we are half interrogating this, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. It's brilliantly written, as always, from Carolyn Ward-Daniels. She's outdone herself this time. And such a shock ending. I will say this, though. Had this infatuation not happened, I am convinced that Robert would have matured into a serial stalker. Or worse, much worse. Oh, wow. See, I think that's your imagination there. Really? You don't think it's Carolyn leading me down that path? Well, yeah, yeah, it is. I suppose it is, but you've kind of... I don't know. You've took it one step further, I think, and thinking that he's going to turn into a serial stalker because, I mean, he's got to 35 and he's never bothered before. Maybe, but, well, yeah, maybe. Because it did take it to the extremes, like with flowers and an actual date. And, you know, yeah. if you think that highly of somebody, the obvious conclusion to that is to end up marrying them, not to stalk another 15 women, maybe. Yeah, of course it is. And, I mean, and I'm it's... giving him the benefit of the doubt because I think he would be a serial stalker. Mm, I don't know. I mean, when you think about the ending and what he did and, and that just escalated into him chucking himself off a railway bridge into the path of an oncoming train. Well, she will definitely be saying his name. Well, yeah, that's true, but not quite in the context that he thought she would be. No, that is very true. Something like... is obviously better than nothing for Robert, though, don't you think? I don't know, you know, to be fair. that I just find him a weird bloke. He obviously didn't think much of his life or lack of life to be so readily available to chuck himself off that bridge. There was nothing he was going to be missing out on if she was dead. I think you're feeling quite sorry for him, and I just think he's a complete twat. Well, yeah, there is that. All right, then, so shall we do the last and final story, then? Go on, then. This is um, from Jerry O'Keefe, and he is reading it for us himself. So we will sit back with our coffee and our feet up while we listen to Jerry read a story. Come on, open the door. Have you got it, Frankie? No, I've tried everywhere. Everywhere? Yes, everywhere. The all-night petrol station? The first place I went. Come on, open the door, Sammy. It's freezing out here. And 3am in the morning. No, you promised. And I'm in a lot of pain here. I need it. I know, sweetheart. But everyone is looking for some. There are a lot of others in your condition at the moment. And the freak weather has destroyed nearly every plant or field that grows it. Or provides the necessary ingredients to make it. You don't love me. You think I'm fat, don't you? You're punishing me, aren't you? No, honestly I'm not. Now please let me in. My fingers are going numb. I've driven to every late night shop, pharmacy, you name it, I've been there. There just isn't any. Look at me. Cut and bruises all over my face and hands. Some old lady beat me up and stabbed me with her knitting needles to get some. There are fights breaking out everywhere. It's bedlam out here. The letterbox opened on the door of the semi-detached house where all this raucous shouting was going on. Two bitty eyes looked out to survey the scene outside. Oh, sweetheart, you look terrible. But you're not coming in. I need some, baby. I'm hurting so much. An envelope with a wad of cash and instructions were pushed through the letterbox. Here's the address of a supplier, plus some extra cash to complete the transaction. 
Where did you get this money? And how did you know about this supplier? You don't need to know, and it's better that way. Okay, okay. I'll be back in about half an hour, and you better be right. The car door slammed, and the car leaves the driveway. Sammy better be right, and I'm not going to be messing about. Taking a gun out of the glove compartment, Frankie lays it on the passenger seat. It was snowing heavily now, and visibility was bad. Frankie was struggling to see, and cursing Sammy for this terrible night. Frankie soon found the right place. There was an underpass of an old railway crossing, with what looked like an old air raid shelter underneath. This looks like the place. Gun safely stashed out of sight in a back pocket. Frankie got out of the car and walked over to the shelter and knocked on the door, which caused pain to shoot through Frankie's frostbitten hand. Cursing. Frankie watched as the door slowly opened to reveal an older woman in a woolly hat and scarf, wearing a long black trench coat, holding bloodied knitting needles. Frankie's heart sank. She dropped a salacious wink and asked, Are you looking for these? as she opened her coat to reveal pocket after pocket, with various packets and boxes of almost any kind you could wish for. Oh, take the lot. It'll cost you. Have you got the money? Frankie replied, I think this will cover it, handing over the envelope. The woman flicked through the wad of cash, sniffing it joyfully, then said, smiling, That will do nicely. She threw everything into a plastic bag and handed it over. Meanwhile, Sammy was sat on the sofa of their middle-class suburban home, waiting for Frankie to return, getting increasingly agitated and muttering, I need some desperately to take away this pain. It has been over an hour now. Where is Frankie? Suddenly there was a knock at the door, and Sammy ran excitedly to kneel at the letterbox to ask, Do you have it? Yes, was the reply, along with a sample posted through the letterbox. Now come on, open the door. Oh, darling, this is wonderful. Sammy opened the door and threw his arms around his lovely wife, Frankie. She said, don't squeeze too hard. You might hurt the baby. I'm so glad you get to carry this one. This craving, though, it'll be the death of me. I wasn't this bad when I had our first. It was only peanut butter and pickled onions with celery. Getting hold of this chocolate is much harder. I hope you appreciate the old Jamaican rum and raisin. That is priceless now. It's so hard to get hold of. Frankie handed over the rest of the bag, which included Jaffa Cakes, Red Bounties, Thornton Selection Boxes, Chocolate Digestives, Viscounts, Penguins, and a Terry's Chocolate Orange. That's Frankie's, not Terry's. She grinned, grabbing back the already half-eaten box. But that lot should keep you going for a while, she grinned. Sammy grinned back mischievously. Oh, sweetheart, I'm sorry I put you through all this. Just getting my own back for when you were having Ben. What do you think we'll have this time? Must be a girl, especially wanting all this chocolate. Oi, cheeky, slapping Frankie playfully over the head, while cramming in a bit more of the old Jamaican rum and raisin. They hugged and started laughing. Quite possibly, quite possibly, they said together. Jerry's imagination, it's gone on to overdrive on this story. I like it a lot. From the cravings that are described like a drug addiction, 
through to the gender swap pregnancies, I didn't guess the ending. And it didn't even occur to me that the names were very gender neutral, which was probably a huge clue that I missed, as was the fact that there were no he or she pronouns used for either of the main characters. I guess I was just enjoying the story a bit too much to notice, maybe. I didn't notice that either, to be honest. I've got to say, right up until the very end and the very last bit, never across my mind, because I was going down the route of it was the guy that was out looking for the stuff. Is that Um, bad on us? Maybe that is. Maybe our stereotyping. Yeah. But I absolutely love that twist on a bit of a futuristic world that he brought into this story. Yeah. I did wonder what it was that the person was out looking for. I kind of got the fact that maybe it wasn't drugs, but I couldn't work out what it was. I was Inici- sold on it being drugs. Initially, I, w- I thought it was drugs. But then as I kind of got a little bit into it, I thought, mm, that's not really, that's not drugs, that's something else. But it opens up a whole new world, that, of a, a sort of dystopian future where Men are carrying babies or or the gender can decide who carries the baby. Well, yeah, they've but, taken it in turns, haven't they? Yeah, but chocolate is of a shortage. Uh-oh. What? The world will go to hell in a handcart if we run out of chocolate. Oh, And I'm... all the times you need a bar of chocolate or murder your spouse. No. Well, you see, for me, it wouldn't matter. I wouldn't be sending somebody out in the middle of the night to get me my chocolate fix. Oh, that would. No, so I don't blink. like it. You don't like chocolate? No, I don't like chocolate at all. Are you even human? Of course I'm human. Oh, I think the jury's out. Ooh. I have to say, though, I can always count on needing an extra edit with any story from Jerry. I'm totally happy that we've been able to include this story for the writing prompt. I really liked it. I think it's he's so caught up in the moment and getting it out of his head and written that he's not even thinking about grammar or punctuation it's just all this stuff is whirling around in my head and it's got to come out it was frankie that was out weren't it frankie some old lady beat me up and stabbed me with her knitting needles to get some (laughs) i kind of i think that's what made me think that this isn't drugs yeah do you think that the old lady that beat him up with the knitting needles to get some was the same old lady that opened the door with her blooded knitting needles to actually sell him the drugs that she'd fought him for earlier. I thought it was, yes. I did get that impression. And this is the third lot of knitting needles that we've had in stories, you know. I mean, we had Elaine's story for the last flash fiction with her knitting and her rows and rows. Yeah. And we also had Bob Sharp in series one where Ma frequently stabbed old Alfred through the head with a knitting needle to kill him off for a bit of peace every now and again, knowing that he'd come back. Knitting needles ought to be reclassified as weapons. <laughs> Certainly for the purposes of this podcast. <laughs> My housemate knits a lot. Do you think I should be worried? Yes, I absolutely think you should be worried. And she looks like butter wouldn't melt, so yes, definitely. She's, she's like a prime setup for a murderer right there. I could have done it for this uh, for this one, actually, opened the door where I'm barricading myself in my bedroom so she can't get at me with her knitting needles. Well, you could use locked for that. I could, actually. That's true. Mm. You could also that's... be hiding under the bed for the yeah. last one. <laughs> 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 
Let's turn no. Claire into a serial killer with a knitting needle. I don't think she'd appreciate that, poor Claire. Sorry, Claire. Well, I don't know. We're on to uh, we're on to books of our own choosing, I believe, for next week, aren't we? We are, yes. Right. So yes, next week we're reading indie authors of our own choosing. Now Daisy, in her normal procrastination, hasn't even picked a book yet, so she doesn't know what she's reading. I'm going to be reading, and I'm already halfway through it, the next book in the series by Debbie Young. Uh, The series is called Staff Room at St Bride's. The book is called Stranger at St Bride's. And I won't be able to read a third one because she's not written it yet. So I'm hoping that at some point this year, the third one in that series does come out. And I promise I won't read it for the podcast. I will look for something different next time. Have you got any idea, Daisy, what you're going to be reading? Any thoughts at all? Well, first of all, I would rather say that Instead of it being procrastinate, procrastination, I can't even say it. Instead of it being lazy and can't be bothered. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's because I am spontaneous. And whatever takes my fancy when I decide to pick up a book and start reading it tomorrow afternoon will be whatever it will be. You've got a week. I can read a book in a week. That is true. But I'm looking forward to what you are going to be choosing. Is it going to be something along the lines of the dark dingy depths of your imagination that you normally read or <laughs> I really can't say at this moment in time but That's I can't good. promise it won't be <laughs> right until next time then yes don't forget if you've got any suggestions for books for us to read uh, drop your suggestions to us at contact us at barebooks.co.uk and if you've got any uh, stories for the flash fiction for the writing prompts they're all on our social media send them into submissions at barebooks.co.uk see you next week bye if you've read a book by an indie author that you've really enjoyed email the title across to us at contact us at barebooks.co.uk and if we read it we will discuss it on the podcast excellent If you happen to be an indie author and would like us to add your book to our reading list, maybe even come and talk about it on the podcast, send your suggestions to submissions at barebooks.co.uk. And if you fancy a go at writing flash fiction and want the chance to be published in our flash fiction anthology for 2021, pop onto our social media for the full list of writing prompts for this season and also the word count at Barebooks Podcast on Facebook and Instagram or at Barebooks Pod 1 on Twitter. Thanks to Simon Strong for the musical interludes. You can Instagram him at dadnap.mp3. Stay safe. Until next time.